I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. Happy birthday, Lauren. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, it was my birthday the other day. It's the first birthday in a long time I've not been excited to celebrate. Well, that's kind of just built into birthdays. You know, there's, some of them are fab and others just make you want to die. Yeah, and I get it. I'm not the only person because I think many people started the pandemic one age and are going to leave it two years older. Yeah. And that's very cruel. It is, but you know, shit happens. You're one year older, you're one year wiser. And uh, I didn't cyber bully a frozen yogurt place on my Instagram. Good for you. At least you can sleep at night. So if you haven't heard, this week Demi Lovato posted a series of Instagram stories in which she called out a Los Angeles-based frozen yogurt shop called The Big Chill. No affiliation with this seminal 80s film. She accused them of profiting off of diet culture, among other things. Lauren, can you read the first post? Finding it extremely hard to order Froyo from at the Big Chill official (laughs) when you have to walk past tons of sugar-free cookies, other diet foods before you get to the counter. Do better, please. Hashtag diet culture vultures. She really thought she did something with that hashtag. So the Big Chill responds and they say, we're not diet vultures. We cater to all of our customers' needs for the past 36 years. We are sorry you found this offensive. She sent a response that's entirely too long. Like, you know when just from looking at a text message, you can tell that someone's gone too far? This is what happened. And basically, to paraphrase this, she said that you're not creating an inviting environment for people with eating disorders, which is like the deadliest mental illness, blah, blah, blah. Don't make excuses. Do better. And I love that they left her on red after that. I know. And the best is she puts on the Instagram story that's the screen cap of this conversation. Since y'all want to keep this going, they don't. They left you on scene. You're the one who wants to keep this going. Yeah. So she continues to post Instagram stories. Then she receives backlash online for cyberbullying a small business, understandably. And then she doubles down and posts a seven-minute IGTV video explaining her side of the story, which wasn't all that compelling, but I will put uh, the best clip here. I walked in, was so triggered that I left without Froyo, and it made me really sad. I'm sure a lot of pop culture podcasts talked about this incident, but how many went to the front lines and actually got this frozen yogurt to report to you what exactly the experience is like? Yeah, we were literally there like an hour ago. It was not the most glamorous frozen yogurt shop. It hasn't changed since 1986 when they opened. Yeah, the Big Chill like must have been in theaters when the Big Chill, the frozen yogurt shop opened. So you walk in and there are the the aforementioned cookies, but the point that the Big Chill makes is we serve people who have celiac disease, who have diabetes, who are vegan but you brought up a great point after we left the frozen yogurt place which is who gets frozen yogurt and is like i'd like this box of cookies as well yeah that's not where you go for cookies but also and you made the point it's like well who goes to a frozen yogurt shop except people that want ice cream but don't want the calories of ice cream frozen yogurt is inherently diet culture right yeah that is kind of the false premise that her argument is built on which is like whoa, 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 whoa. it's not like you went to a gelato shop and there was all these diet sugar-free cookies you went to 
the ice cream alternative, or at least that's how, in my memory, frozen yogurt was sold to people in the 80s and 90s. Totally. It is the bedrock of diet culture. So that's weird. But also, it's the type of frozen yogurt place that's very dichotomous, where, yes, it's frozen yogurt, but all of the toppings are like cookie dough, birthday cake, Snickers, Captain Crunch, gummy bears, gummy worms, literally everything like that. I don't think that any diet conscious person is has like the option to put well I don't think that any business that has like peanut butter cookie dough as a topping is profiting off of diet culture but do you know what they are profiting off of this controversy yeah because it went the exact opposite way that I believe Demi Lovato thought it would and now it's attracted a huge audience and crowd I mean we were there on a weekday in the middle of the afternoon there was a line and look we're obviously dragging her as we should but I just want to say that I am sympathetic to anyone that's struggling with an eating disorder that is a truly terrible thing but just because you're personally triggered by something doesn't mean that it shouldn't exist for everyone else like the bitch that goes into the frozen yogurt shop and is like I just want a sugar-free cookie should be allowed to buy one and she's not incorrect that there is an overarching narrative in America about being thin and dieting and all of that it's just it was the wrong business to sort of put that upon and also I find it very disingenuous with celebrities in this year of our Lord 2021 to then be like, oh, I didn't know I was bullying them. Oh, really? So you at a company, right? You could have just said, I had a very triggering experience at a frozen yogurt place. You added them. You used their Instagram handle and showed that to your 100 million plus followers. What did you think was going to happen? It triggers me whenever celebrities do this. And in the, in recent years, we've seen Lizzo call out a Postmates driver for stealing her food, although she later apologized. Classy move. Yeah, and acknowledge, oh, wait, I didn't realize the privilege I have because that woman got death threats and then ended up suing Lizzo. Well, because she posted a photo of her on the internet. Right. I mean, that's like, yeah, super fucked up. What Gigi did was less fucked up. Gigi Hadid. Yeah, she just tweeted at Postmates and, you know, told them that her order was late and that their customer service was terrible, et cetera, et cetera, which I disagree with as someone that uses Postmates all the time. Yeah, but it's hard to figure out if the service was bad, if the food was actually late, or these are just people who've had everything catered to them. So something that's one minute late is just unacceptable. Beyond the pale, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest problem with this Demi situation is that she's just like personalized it to such an extreme degree where everyone else's realities are irrelevant. And I find that's a symptom of social media or what social media and the internet has done to people's brains. They internalize everything. They individualize everything. If something upsets them, it's because you did that on purpose to upset me. No, no, bitch, I just put some sugar-free cookies out. God forbid she ever goes to a press juicery. <laughs> or moon juice. Yeah, God forbid she ever sees that, um, what's that shit at press juicery that's like fro-yo, but it's not even fro-yo, it's oh, completely yeah. plant-based. But you know, sometimes people want that. A lot of people want to cut down on sugar, you know? It's not great for us. Some might say that sugar is a, the most addictive substance out there. Anyway, I'm also concerned about her because she is attached to this NBC pilot where she is playing a woman that is in a eating disorder recovery group. And I feel like if the Froyo shop is too much for her, then I just don't understand why she would jeopardize her recovery by doing something like this. It just seems like stressful. 
So yeah, in conclusion, we recommend the Big Chill if you're living in the Southern California area. I mean, unless you live in Westwood, there's no need to go from another neighborhood though, right? Like it's like a local spot. This isn't groundbreaking. This is no Cold Stone Creamery. Wow. <laughs> God, I hope Demi never goes into a Cold Stone Creamery. That, that would fucking kill her. Well, anyway, if you find yourself in the Westwood area and want to check out the Big Chill, we just want to do our due diligence and tell you they are cash only. There are no samples. No samples. Savage. Yeah, I don't know if that's a a COVID precaution or that existed before COVID. And uh, you can only park in the parking lot for 12 minutes, so chop chop. Shall we get into Tiger King? And the fact that John Cameron Mitchell has been cast as Joe Exotic in the limited series. Because evidently all... This is the limited series with... Um, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. As Carol Baskin. Not to be confused with when Kate McKinnon was going to play Elizabeth Holmes. She dropped out of that limited series that was based on a documentary that was based on a podcast. All content now begins as podcasts that then inspires documentaries that then become fictional limited series to run on streaming services. I love this pipeline. You know, adapting books is so old school now we're adapting tweets into films so yeah you're right i'm obsessed with it this casting is a very rare instance of the correct person being cast in a role like this normally they would cast someone more famous and less talented like neil patrick harris or some shit well for those who don't know who john cameron mitchell is he created hedwig and the angry inch which hedvig sorry hedvig and the Angry Inch, which he wrote, originated the character. And then eventually, didn't Neil Patrick Harris play? Yes. Well, that was fucked up because, okay, so this was always like an iconic Broadway show. They bring it back to Broadway and then they open the show with Neil Patrick Harris as the star of the show. And then, of course, he gets the Tony nomination. So because this is unjust and fucked up, they basically give John Cameron Mitchell an honorary Tony that same year just to acknowledge his work. But it's that savage thing that they do at awards shows sometimes where they don't actually air your speech during the Tonys. They just, when it comes back to the commercial, it just cuts to it. And it's like, this happened, which is fucked up justice for john cameron mitchell i've always loved him his his work playing editors on both shrill and girls iconic also i feel like a role like that you need someone that understands a camp sensibility but also someone that knows where the line is and isn't going to go too far with it if you're looking for anyone who knows exactly where the line is i would suggest watching his film short bus I was thinking like who else would have been really good in this role and the only person I could think of was Christopher Guest but he's too old. I thought you were going to start saying Crispin Glover. I mean there should be some role for Crispin Glover in Tiger King. There's a side project going on that is also about Joe Exotic where Nicolas Cage is going to play Joe Exotic. Okay. I can see that and I love Nicolas Cage. And again, Nicolas Cage for entirely different reasons adds his own sort of camp value to the project. But I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing both. It'll be like when there were those competing fire festival documentaries on Netflix and Hulu. I don't understand when the time is finally going to come when streaming services realize like, oh, we should just be commissioning limited series of these insane documentaries that we're also having production because after the fire festival documentaries that we watched one right after the other i would have loved an army hammer fronted limited series right after that totally it was like recently lifetime did this really genius thing where they did a, a lifetime movie about wendy williams's life and then directly after it 
aired a documentary about her life back to back. It was perfect. It was honestly like the best television I've watched all year. Uh, Mitchell had to say, I'm thrilled to take on the role of this modern folk anti-hero. Joe and I are the same age and like him, I grew up queer in Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. So I feel like I know a little bit about this guy and his desperate attempt to conquer an inhospitable world. And I suppose trick a bunch of young gay men into marrying him. Or not gay men. That's all I remember from the documentary. Yeah, who's going to play his boyfriends? Ezra Miller? I'm trying to remember what they look like. Didn't one of them have no teeth? Some hot actor is going to get an Oscar for, like, having no teeth. Well, it's on TV, so an, M- an Whatever. Emmy. Yeah, a Golden a, a Globe. Golden Globe. Let's, let's be generous. Oh, my God. I would love if you took a super highbrow actor like a Benedict Cumberbatch and he just removed all of his teeth to play Joe Exotic's first husband. No, see, this is the shit I hate. I'm sorry. Like, you need to cast average-looking people in roles that are average-looking people. Have you seen Benedict Cumberbatch? He looks like the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, he's, come on, he's like an attractive guy, isn't he? I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know. But I just, like, that always pisses me off. There's plenty of ugly people. Let them play these roles. On uh, Tuesday, Michael Kors debuted his fall 2021 collection, which also marked the 40th anniversary of his eponymous brand. To celebrate, he presented a retrospective of sorts along 45th Street in front of the Schubert Theater. Like in the middle of 45th Street, not like on the sidewalk. They shut the street down. Well, nothing's going on in the theater district right now. Might as well. Yeah. So the collection included nods to his signature looks of yesteryear with familiar faces like Shalom Harlow and Naomi Campbell, as well as a kind of post-pandemic thesis on glamour, all scored to Rufus Wainwright singing New York Standards. It was nice to see Rufus Wainwright. It was a lot of gay male excellence between him and Michael Kors. The collection itself was a pastiche of all of the things that we know and love Michael Kors for. The camel coats, the spangly evening dresses, the knitwear. With camel coats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Just a gigantic puffer jacket with a mini dress cashmere turtleneck sweater. There's a lot of cute skirt suits. It was really riding that 70s by way of the 90s look, which is, you know, what people know and love about him and what people want from him. And also in the collection, 16 of the looks were reissues of clothes from past seasons, which I'm surprised that more designers don't do this more often. Like if I could go into YSL and buy like the Mondrian dress, that would be incredible. But for some reason, no one does this. Anyway. So you're saying designers should just rip off themselves. They should rip themselves off. Don't wait for some other brand to copy you, you know. Or worse, Zara. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I loved all the throwback pieces. And it really, it is a testament to the timelessness of his clothes. That's true. And it's it's also indicative of what, especially his generation of American design means, right? It's a lot of clean lines a lot of like literal takes on idioms it's like the idea of the cold shoulder and then he makes a beautiful cashmere sweater that literally just has a hole where the shoulder is it's clothing for actual people which has always been i mean that's the core concept of american (laughs) sportswear pun intended you know core cores oh my god i mean that's always been sort of an inherent part of American sportswear, you know, American designers have always tried to draw a contrast between European designers in that they're not just making clothes for rich ladies going to balls and shit. And clothes are wearable, versatile, 
we're going to talk about Balenciaga in a minute, but I feel like even though the aesthetics of those brands are so drastically different, there is a similar ethos in that like, oh, I'm going to just make a sweater that someone could actually wear. It's not like Anthony Vaccarello being like, I'm going to make a latex mini dress with a high slit that only Anya Rubik can wear. I think what's also indicative of the Michael Kors ethos is just a childhood spent looking at Slim Aaron's books. Obviously being influenced by American designers like Norman Norell and Halston and just carrying that torch forward. I think what sets Michael Kors apart from a Ralph Lauren is his conception of like what the jet setting lifestyle must be, which if you look at his ad campaigns are just very bronze people getting off or on yachts or helicopters. It's like the mood board every season is some Ron Galella shit, some (laughs) Slim Aaron shit. It's fine. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Yeah, and and I wish more brands would stop trying to reinvent the wheel and stop trying to make the trendiest, hottest new thing. Or now, in this sad, sick climate, make the most Instagrammable thing, make the most viral thing. You know, there's something to be said for just making a nice fucking suit. Just make a nice skirt, make a nice sweater. It's okay, we won't judge you. And we're judgmental people. Also, we didn't get into the coolest part of the the archive looks, which is the fact that on the tags, or which is the fact that the tags have QR codes on them. And when you, you know, take a picture on your phone, you are rerouted to a video clip of how the garment originally appeared on the runway, as well as a video clip of Michael Kors giving you the history of the dress or the history of the piece, right? which which is like perfect. I hope that more designers do this. I love the idea that the history of a garment can be so accessible to the consumer. Yeah, and we were lucky enough to be invited by the Michael Kors team to basically have an audience with him on Monday where he took us through the collection. So I'm glad that there's an option through the QR code because it was incredible to basically have him because he's so funny. He's so fucking funny. You forget. I mean, he was on Project Runway for 10 seasons, but I feel like I have not interfaced with him in that way in so long. Yeah, I mean, if you're depressed, having a bad day, just go to YouTube and watch a Michael Kors on Project Runway compilation. They're incredible. Yeah, and so he brought out, you know, each of the models came out in this kind of white box, which was a little surreal. It was dystopian because it was like this empty room with a runway in it. And then Michael Kors is just standing there in a mask describing the looks. And it was great because it's like, uh, you know, uh, the sweater with an exposed shoulder comes down. And he's like, this is the top to get vaccinated in. It's like those little flourishes make it made it such a fun experience. It made me wish I could hear him do live commentary to every fashion show. Yeah. As great as the fashion show was, your one complaint was the sort of cross dissolve between the models walking and then in a different room, Rufus Rain- Wainwright was singing. Well, I love seeing Rufus Wainwright. The idea that the models were walking down the street and they were going to see Rufus perform I thought it was really cute I mean I just I always like when things are live rather than pre-recorded but that's but that would have been impossible because it's the theater it's New York so basically you want a Victoria's Secret fashion show version of this where like they're walking around Rufus Wainwright and then on top of it Michael Kors is also there giving live commentary (laughs) about each outfit no I thought it was cool I mean I I liked loved the way that he utilized the city I am a a theater queen so it spoke to me for sure. I can't wait to see a fucking Broadway show. I'd see anything at this point. 
I'd see like, I'd see Jersey Boys right now. Give me, I'll see a jukebox musical. I'll see whatever. I just, I want to see singing and dancing. I want to do the whole thing. I want to dress up. I want to go to Joe Allen where incidentally I did see Michael Kors having dinner once a few years ago. I want to go to Bar Central. I want to get a cocktail. As does Michael Kors. I mean. Oh yes, because this show was also a benefit for the Actors Fund. But we got to, after he presented all of the looks, we got to ask him a question. So you know we had to ask him about pop culture we asked him what his favorite pop culture moment was for the brand but also him personally because he has become a celebrity designer in his own right and this is what he said being on gossip girl they called and they were like we keep using all of your clothes on the show would you want to be on the show and i I, in my mind i'm still a teenager and i'm still in high school so i'm like sign me up i'm there Nicki minaj was pretty fun that's a good one even though we can't repeat it right now. When Project Runway started, I thought no one would watch it. I I remember thinking, what kind of people are going to (laughs) watch designers making clothes? And I ran into Rashida Jones right after the show had started. And she said, oh, congratulations, the show is great. And I said, oh, you're watching. And she said, yeah, my mom loves it. And I was like, wow, Peggy Lipton, Mod Squad, watching it. And then she told me that her father watched it. And I was like, Quincy Jones is watching Project... I mean, come on. I totally forgot that he was on Gossip Girl. Did you watch Gossip Girl? I did. I watched like the first three seasons and then I lost interest. So we blissfully, for your sake, cut off us actually asking Michael Kors the question, but we did reference the Nicki Minaj lyric in our question. And he kept being like, don't say it. (laughs) <laughs> we're like we won't this is the lyric in question couldn't get michael kors if you was fucking michael kors it's it's actually the best and my favorite thing is that lauren already had the clip of this pulled because we wanted to put it in the theme song initially yes and the lovely person jay who made the theme song was like mm. i don't know if it works yeah and another thing that he didn't mention that we realized after the fact that maybe is our favorite Michael Kors pop cultural moment, which is he designed the costumes for the remake of the Thomas Crown Affair. It was the full breadth of his vision. I don't think he did all the costumes. I think he just dressed Renee Russo, right? Right. But it's like you have her in this slinky crystal dress and the beautiful suiting and the knitwear, all of it. It was just She's peak in Kors. insurance adjuster who walks into the New York Police Department in a black turtleneck, a camel mini Ooh, he skirt. he loves a turtleneck. Yeah, and a camel jacket as well you know i wish he had done more film stuff more costumes you know well he's too busy being a mogul right now oh yeah let's get into that so most people probably remember in 2018 when the news came out that he bought versace for two billion dollars but that wasn't his first acquisition in 2017 he bought jimmy Choo for 1.7 billion i had no idea that this happened i think the versace sale sent shockwaves in the fashion community because people weren't sure if he was trying to change the company if donatello would step down but he's like we need more camel <laughs> we need need more gray knits what do you mean more camel <laughs> are you doing donatella or penelope cruz as donatella or am i doing maya rudolph as donatella <laughs> but yeah he's trying to be an american uh, henri pinot i mean sick exactly who do you think he should buy next mm. What if they bought Supreme? Oh my God, yes. (laughs) That, that would be incredible. 
That would truly be Just incredible. the supreme logo and camel or houndstooth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Totally. Camel coat with supreme paillette applique on the back. Also, I highly recommend he did one of those architectural digest apartment tour videos recently. I loved that. If you want some more cores in your life. Course content. I love it because he owns the Avedon photo of uh, Natasha Kinski and the snake. Yeah. And then he also owns the bracelet that she's wearing, the Patricia Von Muslin bracelet that she's wearing in the photo. Love it. All right. I think we've sufficiently conquered those. Conquered the cores. So this week we received a new offering from Demna Gavasalia. The Balenciaga pre-fall collection is here, and it's really, really gay. The first look was a skinny male model in an oversized pink hoodie that said gay pride with like a matching stole. And there were other pieces that said gay in what looked vaguely like a Gap logo flip, which made me think, why didn't Gap already do that? I mean, not vaguely. Like, there's no way that you don't see that and go, oh, it it looks like the Gap logo. See, that sucks that Gap can't just make t-shirts that say gay in their own branding. That's the thing about Pride. It's like companies always want to shove annoying ad campaigns with same-sex couples down your throat, or they design like ugly rainbow shit that no one wants. It's never like what you actually want. Which is a gigantic pig hoodie that says gay. I think people will actually want these clothes, though. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I feel like the only way to judge Balenciaga collections are how grammable they are or like what piece is most likely to get tapped on Jaden Smith or something. I agree with that in part, but also I feel like the good thing about Balenciaga is, again, it's the clothes are wearable. You go in the store and it's like, oh, I could wear that coat or those jeans or that jacket or whatever. They're kind of, they're always reworking their staple pieces every single season and just kind of perfecting them. I don't know. I think it's a nice approach. It's kind of funny that the label has become synonymous with streetwear since it was started as an haute couture brand, basically. That's what all the kids are doing these days. Like, I can't imagine a celebrity wearing, like, a Cristobal Balenciaga vibe these days. No, but I like how these kind of venerable French fashion houses have become basically Hollywood franchises. Like, it doesn't matter what the IP was. It's just whoever is installed at the time. It's like, Tim Burton did his version of Batman, and then Joel Schumacher, and then Christopher Nolan. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, I think it's fun when people play around with it. And they've, you know, obviously completely completely reinvented this house and made it synonymous with something entirely different than it ever has been before. The gay pride stuff is interesting because this is very much coming off a trend that we've seen for the last 10 years, which is a resurgence of interest in like, obviously you always see gay pride shirts and like gay political slogan tees at gay pride parades or at protests and shit. But I feel like only in the last 10 years, people really started wearing them out in their day-to-day lives. Like I remember opening ceremony did that reissued all those act up shirts 10 years ago and then other wild came along and i see like gay pride shit all over instagram all day long but i've never seen like a big fashion house play into this trend sell a gay pride shirt for twelve hundred dollars well you're about to see it exactly i mean except for kind of jw anderson but his thing is more doing collabs with like tom of finland or like david voinerovich or something it's more like gay artists and not so much just generic gay messaging yeah it's cute i mean i'm sure tatiana will buy the hoodie or the hat or something your wife for those who don't know who's also a very talented stylist Yes. I thought it was interesting that another motif seen on a couple of the hoodies was the Incredible Hulk, the comic adaptation Mm -hmm. of the Incredible Hulk. Oh, of course that jumped out to you. (laughs) 
<laughs> I it more jumped out out to me because of um, the Scaparelli Kim Kardashian look, where mm. the mm-hmm. Christmas Eve look, where she had a, a corset that basically made her look like she had whole abs. So it's like, is this something going on? Are all the designers in in France meeting up with each other? Is this a thing? Trading Marvel comic? And is there any overlap with all of that sort of like thick wrench com- content that we see on Instagram? Like, is it just about being green? Yeah, baby. <laughs> Being green and just having like an insanely proportioned body. Which is funny because the layering and the styling of Balenciaga is very like shapeless. Very figure obscuring. Very good for the quarantine 15. Yeah. On like the one end you have Michael Kors. It's all about that high slit. We're going out. We're going to see a Broadway show. We're going to Sardi's afterwards. Yeah. We're going to La Bernadette. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the other side of that, our designers were like, you know what? I sat on my couch. I watched Netflix. I'm a little soft. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Be no, gentle with me. It. I also love the styling of that one look where it was like a male model wearing a leather dog collar with a full chain leash attached, but the chain leash was attached to like a, a structured woman's handbag. That was cute. I mean, that speaks to my aesthetic. I would I would definitely wear that. What did you think? It also reminded me of like, you know how there's that guy that has to be with the president of all at all times that has like the, the nuclear the brief, football. Yeah. yeah, the briefcase handcuffed. I mean, that's a look. Do you think that's what Demna was inspired by? That's, a, I mean, I doubt it, but I kind of, I always just have thought that that looked cool. Well, I'm surprised that none of these kind of millennial Gen Z minded designers that they've at these big luxury houses haven't reinvented, you know, the chain wallet of the late 90s, early 2000s. I feel like they have. They've they've definitely done wallet chains. They love a chain. What did you think about the presentation that was basically they shot the models, then photoshopped them into very stereotypical tourist trap spots in Paris, you know, Hollywood Boulevard? I love it. I, I mean, I love it because it was so funny, especially in contrast to the Celine show, which... <sighs> Which we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about, but it had the craziest location. I forget, it it wasn't Versailles and it wasn't the place where they filmed last year at Marion Bad, but it looked like that, wherever this this was shot in France. It was like the most insane. The house that they shot Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast? I have no idea. Anyway, guys, All I know is it had those pointy little trees. Yeah. And that crazy ass fountain. It was the most insane location. And obviously it was it was showcased in the film of the runway show. But on Vogue runway, it, it might as well have just been photoshopped. That's why it was so fun to see this where they're just like, we just did this green screen and dropped uh, models in Venice in front of St. Mark's Cathedral. And yeah, we haven't been able to travel anywhere. A stock image is the closest that we're going to get. And I can't wait to see little Nas X in a pink gay sweatshirt. Um... Kardashian time? Oh no, everyone's favorite segment. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> we have lots to talk about this week. Love is alive and well. I mean, I feel like I've been violated by the Instagram video that Travis Barker posted as a tribute to Courtney on her birthday. Do you want to explain it? 
it pulls you in. It felt like 8mm or something, right? The obscure Nicolas Cage Yeah, film. I was about to say, are you talking about <laughs> yeah, yeah. what I think you're talking about? I am, because it lures you in where you're like, I'm not seeing what I think I'm seeing. And then you're like, ah, a snuff film. This yeah. basically was a snuff film, but for like affection. It's a birthday post to her, of which it's them kissing. He says, I fucking love you. Okay. And it's just photos of them hugging. And then there's a photo of her where you're like, oh, did he mean to post this? Because it's a photo of her obviously in a thong, but she's cut off at the thighs and he's touching her foot and go, okay, okay. Another photo of them making out, totally fine. Them holding hands. And then there is a video that upon first second third glance i just every time it looks like she's sucking his his dick dick. every single time she's sucking his thumb but that her hand placement is like the hand placement you have when you're sucking someone's dick oh is it chelsea well (laughs) yes it is i'm a lesbian but i'm not a fucking idiot It was And, and he has like a, and the first thing I said, I was like, he has a Misfits tattoo on his dick? Because he has some sort of like little skull tattoo on his thumb. It's so sexual. Like I can't even explain to you. And there is a part of me as someone that's been alone this entire quarantine, basically, that is like, you know, it would be so fun to just be so fucking stupid and obnoxious and in love. But there is a line. Well, especially if you have kids. Like, Mason's going to know what his, like, mom's, like, blowjob skills are like. Um, I just don't like anything that gives me flashbacks to the Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson wedding sex tape. Yeah. From from our show has that vibe. Suddenly, I thought about something I haven't thought of in maybe 20 plus years, which is that sex tape, which when we were adolescents, that was, like, the OG. The sex tape. Yeah. Of which, going back to our Tiger King thing, there's going to be a limited series on Hulu about the guy that took Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson Lee's sex tape. Great. I'll watch it. My memories of that sex tape is that they're on a boat and he's driving the boat with With his his dick. dick. Yeah. That's all I could think about as his thumb came out of Courtney's (laughs) mouth that I was like, oh, it's a thumb. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I still wasn't relieved to know that it was a thumb. Do you know who commented on it? Who? Demi Lovato, who said, wow, y'all so hot, it's stupid, fire emoji. That's someone angling for a threesome. Yeah, she wants to get in there. She wants to be their third. And they're like, we like Froyo, sorry. (laughs) That throuple would never work because Courtney's all about like poosh and sugar-free stuff. It would trigger Demi too much. Oh, yeah, totally. Over the weekend, you sent me something and you were like, Lauren, you are going to die. And it was a link to Kylie Jenner's Instagram, which had a very cute photo of Stormy in a chicken costume. But what you knew I would immediately notice is behind her is a bookcase filled with film centric books that I know this woman did not pick. Well, yeah, and they're like forward facing. They're very prominently displayed. Oh, yeah, they're display books. And it's a book about the Coen brothers, Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino. The Tarantino one I can understand. Yeah, I believe that she's seen most Tarantino movies, probably not Reservoir Dogs, probably not Hateful Eight. She probably has seen True Romance likes it but doesn't know that Quinn Tarantino wrote the script for it. But I believe that she's seen like the Kill Bill movies, definitely Pulp Fiction, maybe not Jackie Brown. Definitely not, not Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown. I'm I'm but Cohen Brothers, like what that's the one that like, I can't figure out because like what Cohen Brothers would she watch? Maybe Big Lebowski. Can you imagine Kylie Jenner watching Oh Brother Where Art Thou? No Country for Old Men. Uh, Maybe she'd fuck with that. I bet I can see that. I can only see her watching these films or attempting to watch these films if Travis Scott was like, oh man. You haven't seen Taxi Driver? You haven't seen Hudsucker Proxy? (laughs) 
Has Kylie Jenner seen Mean Streets yet? Here's what I think Kylie Jenner's understanding of film history is, is she's definitely liked and saved and probably has been on her mood board the still of Sharon Stone from Casino and all the furs with the jewelry, but she has no idea what movie that's from. What if we're just being totally bitchy and we're totally wrong? What if she's actually like, my favorite director is Pasolini, (laughs) you know? And we're like, oh shit, we didn't know. She's like, guys, I watch the Criterion channel all the time. She's like, I just love Maya Darren. <laughs> I just live for that shit. Could you imagine if one of her Kylie skin or Kylie cosmetic promos is uh, a nod to last year at Marinbad? <laughs> She's like, my new palette is here and it's Fanny and Alexander. <laughs> be so good. Guys, this Kylie skin collection is called Intolerable Cruelty as a nod to my favorite Coen Brothers. (laughs) Okay, here's what really I think is driving Chelsea and I insane is also the randomness of the bulk haul because it's very obvious that because this is something that exists because of course it would exist in Los Angeles. There are book curators for the rich. Yeah, and there she's like, what are they like? You like movies? You know, here's some books. I mean, the other thing, this reminds me of people that buy fashion books that they don't look at just to like have them around their house. And you can tell that someone isn't reading the books because they buy the same three books. It's the Alexander McQueen book with the lenticular cover of the skull. It's the Tom Ford book, which I have, but I would like to point out that I got it when it came out. I went to <laughs> Neiman Marcus when I was 15 with my mom, waited in a three-hour line oh, that's cute. to get it. So the one that's on my bookcase over here is signed by Tom Ford. Ooh, okay, that's fab. That but, Look, you walk the walk for that shit, but you know what I mean. You've oh, seen this on every like, and blogger's a, and a book. And a book about Chanel. That's what I was saying. Yeah. One random Chanel book. It's not necessarily the same book. It's There's many Chanel books. They just pick one and put it I guess basically what we're trying to do very badly is we'd like to pitch ourselves as Kylie Jenner's book curator oh we do such a good job oh my god we get you the best vintage magazines yeah we get you some vintage Viva get her some like classic La Chapelle books we'd get her some like old Vanessa Beecroft books because all the Kardashians love that shit we get you some vintage beauty and makeup book we're not selling ourselves now, but we would we would be good at this. I feel like she just wants 10,000 Slim Aaron's books. That's like what every rich person wants. What else? Kardashian. Oh. We're... Oh, it's time for a review, guys. Dun, 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 dun. So today we have the... We're a few weeks late, but there was so much Kardashian stuff to cover that we've had to wait this long to finally review the Kendall by KKW fragrances. The collab. So there's three different fragrances. We've got Amber, we've got Olive, and we have the one that Chelsea has been questioning me on since I ordered it, which is Blue Roan. What the fuck is Blue Roan? Tell me. I'm going to spritz it on now. So Roan denotes an animal, especially a horse or cow, having a coat of a main color thickly interspersed with hairs of another color. So basically, it's a very rare horse, of which all the photography for this collection was them on horses, which I believe Kendall is an equestrian. Kim, not so much, although I she loves the fashion of it. But it's a very rare kind of blue-black coated horse is what it looks like. And so therefore, mm. it smells like peach. I was about to say... 
Yeah, it kind of does. It smells good to me. To I like I like blue roan. I think amber is the best one. I would agree with because you. Because olive, while olive I think looks the coolest, it has this it's a it's a clear bottle with this chartreuse colored perfume in it. So the look is really good. Yeah, the bottles are brilliant. It really kind of evokes you're a millennial child going through your mom's perfume tray in the 90s it's like yeah. a slim round simple minimal but yeah to me the olive one it smells really like smell it like it really smells like vanilla like it seems like vanilla is the top note or something i don't even smell i mean not that i was expecting this to smell like a dirty martini but they say well overflowing with rose petals a statement making blend of sleek white florals are twisted with the Warm strikes of vibrant solar amber at the heart. Can I also pitch us to be copywriters for <laughs> Well, the now they just make shit up. Actually, we can review the Travis Scott Byredo candle on a later episode because I have that. And the description of the fragrance is just like things that don't exist. It's like this smells like cosmic particles. Oh, yeah. I mean, for amber, it's saying we've got, what do you want? You, you got grabbing hands. Well, you uh, have all the perfumes. I know. I'm hoarding all the perfumes. Yes, the amber is the one I've been wearing. It smells like nothing that it's described on this cover, which I'll get into in a second, but it just smells like baby powder. Yeah, it smells like fancy musky baby powder. Which- yeah, like if you liked Love's Baby Soft. <laughs> but it doesn't smell cheap. It smells more It smells more expensive than oh, yeah. that. Well, open It's not with- like Victoria's Secret. No, amber is described as opening with an inspired blend of fresh Italian bergamot and juicy vertimandarin that is laced with natural pink peppercorns. Laced with? Uh, again, Have you ever ever heard that language used is that can you can fragrances be laced with things because i usually just use that with like oh my weed was laced with pcp or whatever (laughs) which fully happened to me yeah that's a story for another time an addictive heart composed of precious ylang ylang white rose absolute and jasmine sambach is faceted with creamy rich woods and toasted tonka bean for a sick fuck is a tonka bean i know by the way guys We'll give you the real tea. We think buying this three pack, definitely worth it. It does not smell like anything that it is described. Amber would be fancy baby powder. Olive is uh, vanilla. And then Blue Roan just smells to me like fancy fruit flavoring. It's like those dull, like little peach cups with the yeah. syrup that you get in middle school. Yeah. So if you've always wanted to smell like that <laughs> when you go to the Ivy or Catch or something, Blue Roan is for you. Next time you go to Craig's. As, as Chelsea has described, we are the pay pigs for the Kardashian. We are on no PR list. We are spending... And, and we'll never be on one. We're making sure that we'll never be on one. All right. Well, it's been fun. We're going to spritz ourselves with Amber. And we'll see you next week. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs>